Welcome to the Tiger for Life podcast, where we'll hear stories from Washingtonians from their favorite food at Waltz or the CAF to their favorite Tiger Tunes shows and professors. We'll also find out what they've been up to outside the famed Washita bubble. I'm your host, John Merriman, Washita's Director of Alumni Relations. Today on the Tiger for Life podcast is longtime educator and current Arkansas Senator Joyce Elliott. Joyce graduated from SAU in 1973 and received her master's degree in education at Washita in 1981. Joyce taught high school for 30 years and left the classroom in 2004 to work for College Bound, expanding access to AP classes for those underrepresented, African-American, Latino, rural, and low-income students. She has also served in the Arkansas House of Representatives and the Arkansas Senate for 20 years. Joyce shares about growing up in Willisville, Arkansas, the difficulty of desegregation while she was in high school, lessons learned being an educator that have served her well in the legislature, and her favorite memories of her graduate studies at Washita. A quick warning, this episode contains strong language related to racism during the desegregation of Arkansas schools. Listener discretion is advised. All right, Senator Elliott, welcome to the Tiger for Life podcast. Thank you so much, John. Glad we finally got it hooked up. (laughs) Definitely. I know things have been so busy and you just hopped off another Zoom, but thanks for taking some time today to chat. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to do it. Yeah, well, first of all, I wanted to say congratulations on being named uh, to Arkansas Business, Arkansas 250. Uh, oh, is, yeah. Very was, exciting. Yeah, that was very nice. See, see what see what Washington does? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I was excited. I think you I think they've only had a you know a few years of this. I think you might have been into every issue there. So I, yeah, I think so because sometimes I get confused about what well, wasn't that just on there, and I think that's what's happening. <laughs> like, are y'all asking me again? I go, well, yeah, that's that's good. It's an it's an honor. <laughs> I'll do it. Well, you yeah. know, being being listed as one of the most influential leaders in the state, you know, what does that recognition mean to you? You know, it it, it just um, I I think it is so affirming to me for the work I have chosen to do and the fact that I have chosen to remain in Arkansas and just not leave. And and because I believe things could be so much better and it's really hard work. So, you know, the affirmation is good Uh, um, because so many times, you know, you only get noticed for the things that you know, somehow are scurrilous and whatever. And I try to stay away from scurrilous. <laughs> but it, it is it is very important to me because I think it's important that younger people see me continue to push and push and things to be better in our state and um, and to see other people recognize it. I think it means something to the next generation probably more than it does, you know, uh, for me. Um, because I, I, I have a great relationship for some reason, a lot of these young people haven't figured out that I'm an old woman. So they just (laughs) stay in my corner all the time. And, uh, it's, they really need to see positive things like this. So definitely, you know, I mean, I think I've, you know, kept up with your career for a while, you know, being here at Washington, knowing that you got your master's here, but I think a lot of the state really was, you know, introduced to you most recently in your congressional race. And I mean, you really were, were out there, you know, working hard and, and pushing for change and things. And one of the things I love the most were your commercials. I thought they were just brilliant. I know yeah. one of them has won an award, I think, which might be the one that I enjoyed the most about, you know, growing up at your grandmother's house, that location. Yeah, that was the one. That oh. was the one. <laughs> oh, it was just beautifully done. Um, tell me about growing up in Willisville. What, what life was like growing up there? It always felt kind of stifling to, uh, to me in a bit, but I knew that's because I, I was, when I was a kid, I, I just loved the idea of reading about other places and, and the way other people live. And so uh, that just, I was just a geography freak to know about <laughs> these other places. I remember in elementary school, I would, uh, I remember hearing about Caracas, Venezuela, and just thought that was the most beautiful thing I'd ever heard. Mm. And in my, my mother was very, very, enamored with and by the the French culture in a lot of ways, just the French people. I didn't understand that at the time. I found out later on why that was the case. But um, it made growing up in Willisville for me, having that side of just exploration through anything I could read, it really made it um, in a place I felt was kind of suffocating in a way. It made it more possible. because I saw the possibility if we can just change some things here, I can still go other places and see other things. 
But, you know, at the time I was growing up, I think the population was like 206 or something like that. And, and, and adding to that, I didn't live in the city proper, (laughs) in the town proper. So we were one of those folks, you know, alongside the highway that Willisville was the closest thing to us. So we could go and buy milk or something. (laughs) Um, But it was, you know, it's not unusual. Like a lot of people, we were poor and um, it, life was kind of hard. And it was hard in a lot of ways. I went my first 10 years, my first nine years to totally segregated schools. Mm-hmm. So I've lived both those lives and it was a part of, you know, integration when I was in the 10th grade and 15 years old. Wow. Um, but because of all the things I saw around me, it just made me aspirational. That's the good side of it. It made me aspirational to to know that uh, things need to change. And I never thought about it in any other way other than then you have to do it. You you have to be a part of the change. And mm-hmm. so I knew when I was about, I guess I was nine or 10 years old when John F. Kennedy was running for office. That's when I knew. I didn't even realize what politics was. But I thought if this man can give people the hope that he's given them and making them think things are going to be different. I don't know what this is, but I want to do that because I really saw the connection to the, uh, to the racism that was just pervasive because I saw my grandparents, older folks, especially in our church, you know, always talking about voting, but never in a loud voice, always whispering. Mm-hmm. I heard the word poll taxes uh, one day at the church when I was in elementary school. I didn't know what it meant, but I knew it was scary because people were just afraid to talk out loud. So when John Kennedy was running for office, this thing that they were so bent over about and whispering about, they started talking out loud. That's what I noticed. Hmm. They were all of a sudden they were speaking loudly and talking about maybe voting and things changing. And that just inspired me to, yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it right here. (laughs) So it was a mixed bag, but it was a good mixed bag. So, you know, there was, there was a balance there of aspiration and, and in some days, desperation of, you know, who's going to put, how are we going to get the lights turned back on, you know, and, and, uh, oh, do we have enough food? My family was a big family. There were seven kids. Uh, but the other good thing was I, I, I loved the outdoors and maybe that came from there because, you know, in where I uh, lived, and I think that was true across the South, you know, you didn't sit around inside the house all day. When the sun came up and you got breakfast, I don't care what day it was. If it was a school day, you got out and went to school. If it was, it was a Saturday or a Sunday, you just have to get out of the house after mm-hmm. all the other things have been done, like church or whatever. So uh, we just had you know, a rich playground of streams and fields and doing doing all those things. That was little Willisville, you know, so now it's gotten even smaller. Um, uh, But I love it when I go back, when I go visit, I can just tell my, I can just feel my heart rate just slow down when I'm almost there because that's kind of what it represents to me now as an adult. I have a brother who still lives there and, you know, but we can still sit outside and he's on a gravel road, sit outside with our chairs and anybody who, you know, how people just drive by and go, Oh, I see the Elliot girls are home and just pull in the drive. You know, that kind of thing. So it, it's a, it's definitely deep in me. That's great. What was the desegregation process like? I mean, you were in a small town, were there, um, you know, two different schools at that time in that small town? What was that process like? It was, it, it was, it was more, if you can think about it, more like lower Nevada County. And and I, John, all the time people go like, Nevada County, is that a county in Arkansas? <laughs> Y'all, they're only 75. You can get to know these counties. <laughs> but 1954 had happened and then 1957 at Central and all that. And I was aware of what happened at Central just because um, I was always just just snooping. I just, I was fascinated by what was going, what's going on, you know. Uh, but at any rate, integration had not happened in most places at the time, despite the where it happened at Central and despite 1954 ruling. Um, so in the lower part of, and this is not unusual, in the lower part of, of Nevada County, and for those who don't know where that is, you probably know where Prescott is, the Prescott, uh, one of the two, um, there were five very small all-white schools. 
And there was no such thing for, for the black kids, all the black kids. And this was not unusual either. Uh, just from an area, there was one uh, high school in particular. Mm-hmm. I had gone to elementary school at a smaller school. But in 1968 or so, I guess, no, it was before that because we, we integrated really pretty early, like at 1966. Okay. A lawsuit had been filed prior to uh, 1966 where um, that we have not gone ahead with integration. And so the judge rules, as far as I understand it, well, no, we really meant for you to integrate these schools. <laughs> we were not going to keep waiting around. And that's where something called freedom of choice came from. Mm-hmm. And all this movement now with choice in schools, uh, it comes out of a very racist past. Mm-hmm. Um, so the idea was that none of the white kids uh, would be moved, and they were not. But since that was a that, that meant there was a, a large black school, Oak Grove High School, and um, an elementary school. It meant that we're just going to integrate by just sprinkling some black kids around in all those small five schools. And so suddenly, uh, I just said like a ring was drawn around a few homes and we were told you're going to be going to Willisville we, that we had to go integrate the school. Hmm. And by that time, you know, that was my 10th grade year, you know, just at a time when you're a teenager in high school, when you think you're going to get to do all the things you're going to do, you know, that just kind of went down the drain. And there were five or six families and at semester we were called in and told by the, I guess it was the principal and the superintendent that we could go back to our, our other school and they expected us to go back to our other school at the end of the year um, and or you can go now at semester and just out of the blue I don't know why I guess it comes with that long strand of things I was talking to you about but I want to do but I, things have to change and that that experience really changed me to knowing um, you have to do something but at, at, at the end of the year those other families did go back to the other school. And I stood there in that hallway and, and because I had these adults telling us that we weren't welcome in the school and that had been made abundantly clear anyway. Mm. And I just, you know, I just blurted out, I'm not going. And it scared me to death because suddenly I realized I, I had just said something to adults. And in this case, um, adults with authority. And I didn't know if anybody was gonna stay with me. <laughs> I didn't know. And as it turned out, it was just our family who remained there. And up until the school consolidate, there's just one school district now. But I, I, during the time that school was still there, it, I think there was only one African-American family who attended that school. But all of my seven of us graduated from that school. So it was like one in each class, one in each class, you know, as long as we lasted. Yeah. Um, but the thing I, I think that that was the hardest for me was I, I knew we were poor and that I wanted to go to college and there was no money. And we used to always go to the graduations uh, at Oak Grove High School, which was a large high school. And that was not unusual either because that was like a social thing to go to. So from the time I was a kid, I knew that the person who graduated first in class was going to get a scholarship. Mm. And it would be to uh, uh, UAPB. And at the time it was called AMN. Mm-hmm. And that's what I was working for. I, I, I made up my mind when I was in like the fourth grade, I have to graduate number one in my class because that's how I'm going to get that scholarship and I'm going to go to college. Well, when everything changed in the 10th grade and I was sent to another school, that went out the window. Mm-hmm. And I was just it was like, okay, what, am I being punished for something or what? But at any rate, um, my arriving at that school with good grades and being a good student was not received well. Mm. And that surprised me. I never anticipated that, John. Mm. I, I thought, well, at least they know I'm a good student. I'm a really good basketball player. They don't have many people, so I'm going to get to play basketball and I'm going to be a good student. Um, but we were not allowed to play basketball mm. that first year. And the second year, the, the school was so small, they literally, there was not enough 
people to make a team unless my sisters and I got to play. Because girls basketball was, you know, everything then, kind of like the redheads. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, well, it was everything then. Uh-huh. Um, but I, I think I would have, I would not have been so surprised if it were the students who did not uh, welcome me as a good student, but it, it was the adults hmm. who, I, I was just not used to teachers not being proud of me for being a good student. <laughs> you know, that was, that was a really big blow, but I got through it. It, it got a little bit better before I graduated. So that was progress. Yeah, for sure. You know, yeah. what led you to choose education for a career? Was it the experiences you had in this process or what kind of led to that decision? That, yeah, this process that I just described certainly cemented it. Mm-hmm. But when I was growing up, you know, there were these uh, two things before the, the Kennedy thing came through. I, I I knew, I didn't know enough about the process, but I knew I had to be, you know, a, uh, a grown person, as they say, before I could do it. And um, so I had wanted to be a, a teacher because I loved my teachers and they were just everything to me uh, because it was always, if you get an education, if you get an education. So it, that was the, that was such a positive in my life. Uh, so I thought, I most definitely, I, I want to be a teacher. Um, and then the political thing of John Kennedy. So I said, well, you know, these are the two things I want to do most with my life. There are two things here I want to do. And it's so amazing to me, John, that I've gotten to do both. Yeah. A lot of people don't get to do one thing they really want to do in their lives. But integration situation really cemented um, my commitment to being a teacher because I knew uh, the way I was treated, I knew kids needed to know better than that. I, I know no teacher I know teachers should have such low expectations of you that, you know, you could literally walk up on them talking about they and they, this, and it was always demeaning mm-hmm. and, and, you know, raising your hand in class and just not even being seen. Um, and so I said, you know, because I'm going to be the kind of teacher I wish I'd had, and I am going to be the kind of teacher that white kids need to have too. They had come from backgrounds where they'd been taught a bunch of, you know, racist stuff and so forth. And I knew that was something that was taught. And I then I also found out that a part of the way I was treated was because, you know, the principal and the superintendent pretty much had given carte blanche to those two boys because they did not want me to be the valedictorian. Mm-hmm. And so they had actually, they had called me in to berate me for my transcript. And they called this boy in because he was, you know, the presumed valedictorian and and they told him, you know, about my grades and the thing we had in common, both of us were striving, wanting to be the valedictorian. Mm-hmm. And so they came in and told me about my grades. And I think according to what he, he said, you know, showed him my transcript and said, if you want to, if you want to um, be valedictorian, you got to do something about that uh, nigger Joyce Elliott. Mm. And it was on. Uh, it was a few years before I realized he was nothing but a kid who used just as I was being used. Mm. And I was in college at that time. In fact, I was graduating when he came back and told me the story because it had haunted him all these years. So I just, when I graduated from college, you know, it was a time that a lot of schools, even if they were kind of integrated, they did not hire black teachers. Mm. And I made up my mind. Although I had lots of opportunities, I'm going to teach in a school where there are black and white kids, because that's mainly what it was at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to teach in a school like that because both of them need me. And I did. That's exactly what I chose to do. And I taught school for 30 years, and it's the best thing I could have done as a career. I absolutely love it and miss it like crazy. Mm-hmm. Teaching prepares you greatly for being in the legislature because you have to work with all kind of, I won't call the legislators kids, but all kind of people and understand all kinds of points of view and people accept things and learn things differently. And as I said to my colleagues when I first got there, the only difference is uh, for me then was I was in the house at that point (laughs) was that they catch on a lot quicker and they pay attention a lot more. So I know you can do this. <laughs> yeah, but I was, uh, it was, 
it was a wonderful, wonderful career. I taught most of that time in El Dorado and, and most of the rest of it in, uh, in Pulaski County at, at Robinson High School here in Little Rock. And um, in between all that, I had one year in, in three other states because of getting married and, and moving for a year and fellowships and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and it, it was, it, they were good experiences, but I never was any, in any one of those more than a year. And I knew I was always going to be back in Arkansas too. I thought change the future because it has to be changed. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. You know, what are a couple of stories, maybe a couple of students that stick out to you over the years that have made an impact on your life or that you've been able to impact? Are there a couple of uh, uh, students that stick out to you? Yeah. I don't think it's a difficult teacher or what people call a hard teacher. I mean, I, I, I think the thing that I remember most is the fun and the pain of pushing students to think and deeply think about things around you and question yourself and and learn how to question authority without being disrespectful. It doesn't mean you can question me. For example, I would say to them, anything I ask you to do, I need to have a reason. I'm not saying we're going to agree, but it is okay for you to ask me why are we doing this? Because you should be able to. Hmm. They have real issues with that because that's not the way generally we give kids that kind of agency. Mm-hmm. Um, but when they did uh, catch on to, I'm not trying to set you up to send you to the office, the classes were so robust. Mm-hmm. And when I would get kids who thought just one way, and I was teaching junior, uh, high school students, um, mainly juniors and seniors and some 10th graders. But when I would get kids who just knew everything because this was the way I was raised, not that there's anything wrong with that, but you are a whole person. You, you have a right to honor that and honor yourself by thinking beyond that. When they would get to the point, they would start questioning other students. I guess, like I would have students who came from very, very conservative backgrounds and then some who came from very liberal backgrounds. Mm-hmm. In both cases, they would tend to think they knew everything. And if anybody who was not like them had to be wrong. <laughs> and when I would just require them to be the other person, and I had, I can think of any number of students like that who just turn into more wonderful people than they were because they dared, you know, to get outside of themselves and um, challenge themselves. I remember once when I was, I was talking to them about consider the source, you know, just because I tell you something, that doesn't mean that you, you can't question it, but there's just a way to do it. And they could do so. They would try to think of all kind of ways not to question because that would give them a buy or they wouldn't have to get into an uncomfortable space. I said, you know, for example, it is okay. You have to talk this out with your parents, but I bet your parents will understand that you have a question about some things because parents are not always right. I'm not always right. Um, but the, I, I think the kids, that's the academic side of things. But some of the kids I remember the most was, the social side of things, what they brought to school, how they were treated, what they were dealing with. I know there's so many kids that you've, you know, gotten to know over the years. I heard you tell stories about some of those on the campaign trail too, telling stories about teaching. Um, You received your master's here from Washita and, you know, Washita is just bringing back their master's in education after so many years. Um, What made you choose Washita for your master's program? I know you did undergrad at SAU, right? And then Chose no, Washington no. for your master's. Tell me about that. I was, I was looking for a certain thing that I didn't find anyplace else. And I'm forever grateful to Washington for having it. I, I, I was always that person who wanted to live in and embrace all of the world, even in Willisville, but just from reading, there's no question about that. There's no, I wouldn't have known about the other world and all how much I needed to know and could be. And I wanted to be the kind of teacher who brought, you know, the riches of the world um, in learning and thinking uh, to my classroom. And I, at that time, even then, this was, you know, in the in the early 80s, I had become 
painfully aware that there was so much more that I needed to know to teach my kids, not just the usual things. You know, you get British English and you get American English and it's all over and <laughs> that kind of stuff. Um, so I'd become very aware for whatever reason about, you know, immigration in other countries. And I wanted, um, I wanted a degree that's centered on immigrant literature, marginalized people's literature. And I found that at Washita. I didn't find it anyplace else, you know, and we, and a, a large part of that too, I guess it was because we were able to help set the curriculum, you know, sort of that we wanted. And, you know, and I got a, I was interested in learning. I knew I couldn't learn everything at once in Chinese literature and Japanese literature, which I had to do, had a chance to do with Susan Wing. It was just amazing. And, and then a Dr. Hallaby would come in and teach courses. And um, I remember something from, from, from getting that degree there. I, I, I would never have read the book Christ in Concrete because that was those were Italians, you know, and I learned about the Italians and the Russians that are here even in America, but it's Russian literature too and Jewish lit and so forth. But when Mario Cuomo gave his um, uh, keynote speech in 94, I believe it was, um, when he gave his keynote speech, he talked about being an Italian, his parents being Italian immigrants, and talked about that when he said something about the book that probably you won't recognize it if you haven't had the experience, Christ in Concrete. And my my the, my top almost blew off because I went, I, I read that book. I, it was because I got it at Washita. Mm. I, that's why I got it. I learned about the literature of, you know, I didn't just want it just Hispanic because I knew then it was it's a wider field and I'd learned some things about you know people from Mexico and Central America and even you know but I didn't know anything at all about the Puerto Rican side of things you know and uh, and some of the islands and we were just able to do that and I was in a cohort of mainly other teachers who were I don't know if they were there for that exact same purpose but it, I couldn't have chosen people to be in a class with better than um, what we had because it was it was a light mindedness that I'm doing this for my students. Hmm. I want to know, but I'm doing this for my students. It, it was just it. I I could not believe because um, I was teaching and going to school at the same time. I could not believe how excited I would be at the end of the day when I was going to Washita at night to learn hmm. this stuff. You know, and I go like, I'm going to have to get those papers graded later tonight because I have class today. I love going to, I, you know, I could still be in college if somebody else just sent me. <laughs> I love, love to go to school. Um, but that's how I ended up at Washita. You know, I, because I, I wanted, to, it needed to be somewhere closer around. I would have just, just done it in the summertime even. Mm-hmm. But um, I still have those books. They're just <laughs> Just gold to me. I imagine one is missing somewhere or something, but I, I still occasionally now the anthologies I had on um, Japanese literature and Chinese literature, sometimes I will just pull them out, especially because there's so much to know there. Mm-hmm. And when somebody wins a Pulitzer Prize, and you know, in one year it was somebody from Japan that I would, oh my gosh, I know about this person. <laughs> yeah, so, um, I, I I didn't even realize they maybe had discontinued it at some, you know, at, at, at an interval or so. But um, I just got what I needed. I got what I wanted even more so and, and what I thought I needed as well. So were you at El Dorado then driving back and forth? From I, El Dorado? I was. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I hadn't thought about it being at night. You know, I was kind of wondering how that worked at the time but yeah I guess it would have to be there were there was online instruction and all of that you know and we would you know I work all day and as I said I was excited about tonight I'm going to class I can't wait <laughs> and just so much reading especially when we're studying the um the literature Japanese and uh Chinese literature we were reading and you know I just think about all the other Asian cultures not even touched <laughs> but but so was it was unfamiliar it took it took a lot of deep reading and thinking about yes what does this mean and even more so when we got you know to the russian lit the jewish lit not so much just because i I was just more familiar because when i was at el dorado um i always said you know if you're not going to be a daring teacher you don't need to teach because somehow you're going to miss teaching your kids something they need to know um you know we just had just the 
regular curriculum of stuff. And so I wrote up a proposal and got with my principal about, you know, this is fine what kids are getting, but there's just more than this. And that, and this was in the in the uh, 70s. And I recognized that it's not going to be enough. The world is changing too much. They have to be better armed with something from the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. So I, we, I, I made this proposal to um, teach a class that brought in other voices and, and, and he said, yes, you can do this. And it was a class on um, Jewish, African-American and Native American literature. Mm-hmm. And when I taught that class, I had to do so much work to get prepared, which is another one of the things that led me to, I need more of this to be the best teacher I can be. And that's why I was looking for it so hard. But, um, and the, the African-American kids were, of course, the African-American kids were just dying for it because they just, you know, they didn't see themselves, you know, so many times in any way positive. And so that first year I taught the class, it was close to almost all being, uh, almost all African-American mm. in the class the first year because it was minority literature class. You know, we weren't, we weren't so, uh, you know, about doing so many different kind of names and that was just fine. But the second year, because the kids kept hearing about the class, the second year, it was like 50-50. I just could not believe it. It was, and and this was a choice class, by the way. You, you didn't, you know, you, and it was such a great experience. And I, I still have students now who can tell you about Miss Elliott's minority literature class in El Dorado, because people were afraid and, you know, we're going to have riots and this is going to happen. Oh, no, we're not. It is, I believe in kids more than this, you know, and, you need to work on your mind. And um, that was a really, really, really great experience because it opened the kids' eyes so much. And I had learned more about the Jewish culture and literature because uh, Rabbi Feinberg, who lived in El Dorado, would actually, he would come to my classes and talk and and, and we would have that experience. And then he would get other rabbis, uh, people I didn't know at the time from um, Little Rock, to um, come to my class and talk about when we were on the Jewish literature part. That was a really, really good experience. So I, I, I believe in pushing the needle because if, if we don't just sit still and wonder what happened to us when we didn't do all that work to get to know and appreciate each other better. And I was determined that that's part of a child's education. That's one of the reasons we have public schools. That's where kids are supposed to learn how to be a part of a larger democracy. And I think today we are failing them by um, not doing that and even intentionally trying to make sure we don't do it. Um, that's a failure for our kids because it's almost as if we want to prepare them for we're in and that is not going to be their world. It just isn't. <laughs> yeah. You know, what are some lessons you've learned in the classroom that helped in your time in the legislature? I mean, you've got uh-huh. you know, 20 years now in the in the House and the Senate. Um, uh-huh. Are there some lessons you learned teaching that you've been able to, to pull into that world? Yes, absolutely. And I tell teachers all the time, you're n- uniquely prepared to do this. Um, it's just the fact that because I had a plan, I learned this in the classroom for sure. I work on all these lesson plans that were going to be so great. Uh, and then it turned out, you know, you would think, say, roughly, we have 30 kids. I think it's not going to work for everybody. And so I I literally had to understood, I had to learn about backgrounds and cultures. It's the academics is just not enough. Mm-hmm. And that I have to take the extra step to do that if I'm going to be able to connect to kids and to teach kids well. You need to have a connection with them. I learned how to do that in class big mm-hmm. time. And it made such a difference in my life and theirs. Um, that same thing is exactly what you need in the legislature. Because, you know, first of all, you have parties. But even within parties, people assume everybody's alike, and they're not. And one of the first things I do in the legislature, you know, they give us these little hand, these little books. Um, I think one, I think maybe AT&T used to publish them. But in it, they have all information about the legislators. And so I... I take the time to get to know, okay, I, there's your party. I, I probably knew that before you showed up. But what I don't know are things like you have a family. How many kids do you have if you have kids? What 
grow up in Arkansas, or if you did not grow up in Arkansas, where you school? Um, if you have a degree in something, what is that? You know, they're all kind of little things like that because it helped me just as it helped me to learn those kids. I got to learn them because the other parallel there, we didn't have that kind of stuff written down about our students. So in my, especially my, I would do this in my, in my classes, especially my communication classes, but it, it did in all of them is, you know, it, it, not to the extent maybe in some classes, but I, I came with the idea. Uh, so make an interview sheet and I just had them, I did it as the first of school. And it was a lot of things, a lot of the questions were about them. So right away, that made them feel important. Somebody wants to know about me. And that's how I would learn all those things and surprise them sometime. And I would, like, I would do things. This is a small thing. But if you are making a test item and put a student's name in it, it is gold. Mm. You know, because <laughs> everybody sees your name on this paper, you know, that kind of thing. Um, if I know, for example, I used to listen to different stations on the radio because some of my students like country music some liked you know blues rock or whatever i would listen to two different stations so i would know some of the music they were listening to hmm. and 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 if they were particularly surprised when i knew something about country music because there's just a, this assumption there's no way she's gonna know about this and i would go and i'd start talking about on the way to school today i was listening to npr and and you know who was on there you know that they you know there were people that you know, because I remember one day when I mentioned uh, Toby Keith, a kid almost jumped out of his chair. <laughs> and, uh, oh, and I, I went, oh, do you know who Toby Keith is? I bet nobody else in here, you know, things like that. Yeah. And the same things like that, getting to know a person in the legislature. The other thing is, I mean, I knew this part, just having the patience of Job. Mm. You need to have that in the classroom or you're going to be very, very unhappy. That same thing is true in the legislature, the very same thing. Mm-hmm. And and on days when you just don't get to a student, I mean, you just don't connect in some kind of way, or there's a big disagreement, or if a student has acted up or whatever and done something awful, and, you know, legislators don't act up, do they? Huh? <laughs> um, but when things like that happen, that's when I were in the in, you know in class. I knew that that's kids going to be back tomorrow and the next day and the next day. That's why when I began to fashion in my head, there's always another day. That kid, there's going to be another day. That student deserves another chance. That's why we have another day. So we can do things differently and make amends and so forth. Those three things, and that's true in the legislature. Just because you don't like what somebody did today and it might have been awful tomorrow, you and that person might be on the same page. Hmm. And so it's, that's why I tell teachers all the time, honey, you've got this, or guy, you've got this. <laughs> you've got this. <laughs> yeah. I love it. You know, over the, the past 20 or so years, you've been in legislature, you know, what are some of the things that make you the most proud? Is there legislation you've been a part of, or what are some things that you can look back and say, you know, I'm really proud of the work that I did here. I'm really proud of the work I've done in education. I, I'm really proud of it. And even some of it that I didn't then, but it's finally happened. Just say like this past session is fine. Like for all the years, it took 16 years to get a law passed in this state so that kids who are immigrants here and were educated here can go to public institutions at the same rate as anybody else. That took 16 years to do that. Um, And, you know, finally when we got to a point we could do it, I mean, I was, was um, you know, supported and co-sponsored, but it didn't even have my name on it. But I know, and we all know where it came from. And sometimes just like you need to stick with a kid, you have to stick with that legislation and just keep nursing it and keep growing it and bringing somebody else in and bringing somebody else in. So I'm really proud of that. I'm really proud that I was able to work to get legislation with other folks where when I first went to the legislature, um, AP courses were only offered in 35% of the districts in this state. That is just stunning to me. I couldn't believe it. And I thought, I'm in the legislature. I can help figure out some way to do this. And we got that law passed to require that, you know, those courses, that, at least in the core areas are taught. Mm-hmm. Those are the things that I think really matter, you know, getting uh, kindergarten or uh, 
and more funding for kids, um, with more kids having the opportunity to get a degree. And those are really, really profoundly different things that can change kids' lives and people's lives. Definitely. You know, as you were, you know, doing your degree at Washita, um, was there a favorite professor that you had during your time here? Was it somebody that really made an impact on you during your courses at night? Yes. Yes. I probably shouldn't say it, but there were two, (laughs) but it was, uh, you know, it was, um, Ralph Hallaby and Susan and Susan Wing, but but they were that they really were they were really so good. Uh, I think I was so attached to um, Dr. Wing because I could not believe she was going to teach a course on. You know, it was pretty introductory because you just don't learn all of Japanese and and, and, and Chinese literature and things about the culture just in a year's time. But I will never forget how blown away I was that I could get that there. And by the way, I was teaching at Robinson the, uh, the last half of my career. I taught at Robinson High School, and um, I would invite him to my class along with Rabbi Levy when we talk about what's happening in the Middle East and so forth. And it got to be a, a big thing that we had to start meeting in the library because other classes wanted to come. Mm. I mean, when you do something, I think that really is helpful to people. A lot of times, many of the people want to be a part of it. You know, they 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 want a better world, and I I think teaching just gives you that unique opportunity, as a, does a legislative one, to to have that kind of effect. Definitely, I had Dr. Hallaby for art history and learned so much. You know, oh my gosh. was able to go to Europe and see all of these paintings and things that he had taught us about yeah. in the time periods yeah. and artists. So, I mean, yeah. he's just a wealth of knowledge. I'm glad he still is in, you know, in town and we get to see him quite a bit. Yeah. He really is a wealth of knowledge. I I just, I I adore him. He's he's great. Uh, Was there a favorite memory of your time when you were making those trips back and forth for school? Any favorite Washtenaw memories? Yeah, I remember once when I was, I was going to, I I, I thought I was not going to be able to make it that night, you know? And so um, I, I had tried to, uh, it was Dr. Helby. I tried to call and couldn't get him. And, um, and as it turned out, I did not make it to the class because there was a family issue I just had to take care of. So I called one of my friends who lived in Camden to, you know, to give the word to the class and Dr. Helby. And Dr. Helby writes me this long note about how it's okay that sometimes some other things are important. <laughs> And more important than being here with me, no matter how much you want to, it's just so sweet. Um, but I, you know, generally speaking, the teachers I've had, I'd have some really great, you know, teachers at SAU for sure. Mm-hmm. He was just such an, uh, an overall human being. It made me feel like, oh, this is all, it's just like, is this just like an, an all of Washington? <laughs> do people really care? Do they do more than just say it? I mean, that just stuck with me because I've never had, you know, that kind of in any kind of you know higher education uh, setting, or somebody really did see you as a complex person who had all kind of things that you had to do. You know, I had a, a few of those in, in my college years, my getting my BS degree, but I just did not. I, I just had not had that homey feeling like that before, and I thought that was very, very unusual in a college setting. It turns out it was because. <laughs> The other things happen along that line. So I would, you know, and I always think about Washita as this kind of safe place where people are humans, not just people. They're actual humans. You know? uh, and, and somebody sees that, somebody sees that in you. But another time I was there, I had to, I think it was a day I had to go defend my thesis or whatever. Uh, yeah. My, and, um, I got there early because I realized I'd never walked around on the campus, you know, up there. And I walked, I was going to, you know, around and around. And I don't know how many people I saw that I knew or that knew me mm-hmm. because I, I was already then, you know, pretty active in politics and stuff here in central Arkansas. And <laughs> because uh, uh, I was, I was living in El Dorado, but I was a part of the teachers union. So um, that's how, that's how people knew me. Um, and I just remember everybody, everybody I met, I talked to and, and it was, I don't, I don't even remember who they all were, but I remember having, you know, seeing them having those conversations and, 
and for, for them saying, aren't you a teacher? <laughs> yeah, I go, yes, I am. I am a teacher and I'm here because I want to be a better teacher. And that's what I got. I love that. Yeah, I'm thankful we're bringing this program back to help equip oh, more yeah. teachers to be better I, teachers. Yeah, I miss teaching so much. I really miss it. It was, you know, I felt highly, highly prepared to teach when I started teaching. Good. Um, you know, as we head into the holidays, what are a few things that you're most thankful for this year? I, I am really thankful for, and usually I am these kind of things. I'm really thankful for, I get the chance to keep an open mind and keep accessing the newness of the world and embracing that. I'm so thankful that Arkansas has become a more diverse state. I just think that's the most wonderful thing there is. Because when we, when you know, when I was growing up, it was mainly, we had blacks and whites and that was it. And, and now I love that we have this recognition of the beauty of all of us. And, you know, and I have a son and that I had the chance to, from the very beginning, help him understand that you are not here because it's you. You are not the biggest game you know, around. Um, and every year at Thanksgiving, we'll generally end up being somewhere where, all, you know, a lot of us in the family are together. And, and so many of us have diverse experiences and hold that up. I'm so thankful for that. And thankful they have the opportunity to continue to do the work of advancing humanity because when I was in the 10th grade and at Willisville and things were awful for me at that time, I came up on, I don't know what I was reading, but a lot of times I just go to the library, sit on the floor and read because we didn't have books at home. And I just kept reading a book I picked up that was something on Horace Mann and Horace Mann, it was in one of his speeches in 1809 at Antioch College and to a graduating class. I was 15 and I'm, and I, and I, so I came across this and there was a, there was a quote in there. I have always, always held myself to. And he said to the class, you should be ashamed to die until you make a positive contribution to humanity. I am thankful I get to do that every day. And I knew that's what teaching meant, making a contribution every day to humanity. So I have a lot to be thankful for. You know, nothing sweeter than that 10-year-old granddaughter I have. She's the sweetest <laughs> of them all. <laughs> I love that. Well, we are, you know, thankful for you. Thanks for taking time to visit with me today. It's an honor yeah. to get to visit with you. Um, and yeah, I just want to say we're thankful for the difference you're making out there and that you have for, you know, all your years of teaching and in the legislature. So is there anything else you'd like to say to uh, Washingtonians out there listening today before we sign off? Yeah, what, what I want to say to, to uh, Washingtonians it sounds simple, but this little thing you see a lot about being the change you want to see, be the, be the change you want to see, and just recognize that is that is not even a half of what that means. That's just something to wear about your responsibility in the world. And um, if you don't have change you want to see, you're selling yourself short and others because there's no such thing that there's anybody like you. And just as, just as surely as you're in this world, you have something unique to offer. And if you fail you to see the change where you can put your uniqueness into operation to make this a better world, I really want you to go think hard on that or call me and I'll help you talk through it and find it. <laughs> I will help you do that because I think it's so important. And, and the other thing is, you know, be a citizen. Be a citizen. We talk about a democracy that we have, but we don't have a democracy without civic engagement, which is one of the reasons it's in the condition that it is right now. And politics is the way we have chosen to run our country rather than at the end of a barrel. That's the way we chose to run our country. And I, and I remember this so much because uh, Dale Bumpers used to say, former Senator Dale Bumpers, he was the one I first heard say that. And he would say every time I saw him, do you remember that? Uh, yes, I do. 
know, to decide that politics is just this dirty, awful, nasty thing and it doesn't have anything to do with your lives. It has everything to do with it. Where you get to park your car is a political decision. <laughs> you know, the size of your classroom many times is a political decision. You know, what side of the road you can drive on is a political decision. Decision. So I'm, I'm urging them to, to get involved in civic engagement and help change the politics in our state because young people deserve better. That is my major motivation. I don't intend to, to die in this state without making this a better place for young people. Remain here and make the change. I decided I was not leaving at 17. I don't even know how, John, but I did. So I'm not asking you to do something I haven't done, but I'm not asking you to do something because I did. Hmm. I'm asking you to do something, consider it, because it's important. Even if you leave your state, you still can have a connection to it and help make it better. And I'm, that's what I want. Well, um, thank you so much again for sharing your wisdom with us today and pray that you have an, a wonderful Thanksgiving, wonderful Christmas season. Thanks again for taking time out of your busy schedule to visit. Well, thank you so much, John. And, and you know, God bless and have a wonderful Thanksgiving. I'm, I'm looking forward to just stuffing my face. <laughs> I'm here. All right. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to the Tiger for Life podcast. Be sure to rate and subscribe so you won't miss out on future episodes. Okay.